Mark Marconi, something broke inside of you. My best friend, Dr. Steve Marconi. Whatever come away, Dr. Steve Marconi. And I'm yours until the end. Hello, this is Music Biz 101 and More. Brave New Radio, WP 88.7. We are here for you. For all your music biz problems, if you have a problem with uh, the music biz, you reach out to us and we'll right. better. Right. Very good. I had an exciting afternoon. Dr. Stephen Marconi, my co-host. By the way, I'm Professor David Kirkville. Hello, everybody. my turn. And what did you see today? My turn to see Hamilton today. And I must say, it did not let me down. <laughs> no. No. It was a good show, huh? Yes, and bought the tickets over a year ago, so I didn't pay too much more than the face value. Mm -hmm. But I went all the way up to the back of the theater in the very last row in the corner to see how bad the sight uh, lines were, and it, it was actually very good. Mm -hmm. The theater has a high ceiling, so it's right. very good. And that woman had paid $444 for that seat. Really? Yes. Wow. What did you pay for your seat? I think it was uh, 120 plus whatever. We bought it right at the box office mm -hmm. before it went crazy. Before right. it's all secondary market now. Right. You know, till the end of time, actually. So it was a wonderful show. Anyone, I would say that it is worth you paying a smidgen extra. Just don't go crazy. Mm -hmm. But it is just a, everything you've heard about it is absolutely true. And it's great because we did have on our first live show yes. the Riggs Morales two yes. weeks ago. Yes. And people will be able to hear that on the podcast. The podcast yes. is up if they go to SoundCloud. Yes, and Riggs Morales was the associate, associate professor, associate producer of the soundtrack, Hamilton. Yes, and it was great to have him. And so the yep. Grammy winning. And he could not get me tickets either. I had asked for my daughter. And he said, ho, 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 ho. I took that right. as a no. That's funny. Because he gave me six. I so, thought uh, he did. Because yeah. I think I saw a guy selling them today on your <laughs> We're with my front of the clothes. place. That's right. We want to thank uh, Nathaniel Hawkins, who's sitting across from us, our producer. You were going to call him, though, Nate the Hawk. The Hawk! Nate the Hawk! Hates that. He hates that. Yeah, he it? hates that. That's why it has to be said. Right. But Nathaniel, thank you. How is your mic? I think my mic's great. Oh, that's great. Good. You have the best. Good. We have a radio voice. So who's coming on besides the three of us? Um, we're going to have Mike Keeley from Motor Scout Music. He's going to be on in just a moment. He, great. We're waiting for him to call in. I'm watching the email to make sure that he's not saying I'm not calling in. So and our he'll tweets are coming in. We have lots of great tweets today. We've and who do we have next week in case we run out of time? Next week, we, next week, we have... It is uh, Ken Jacobson, your mm -hmm. friend, who's yes. won awards for write, composing music for video games and also film Correct. Correct. and TV. After that, Michael McDonald, not the uh, former Doobie uh, brother. Okay. <laughs> um, taking it to the... Taking it to the... That's not the Michael McDonald. No. It's from Mick Management. Mm -hmm. Due to our friend Aaron Van Dyne, mm -hmm. who is the business manager for Kiss Three Doors Down, et al. What does that mean when you say et al? That's like a Greek means thing, with, right? uh, with Alan. As well. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> with, with Alan. But uh, so. Aaron also should be plugged here because of the wonderful financial arrangements we've made with him that's right, <laughs> the that's right. We, money we, that we had for the last year's trip to we blew off all the beginning stuff uh, uh, anyway we want to thank Aaron Van Dyne and Van Dyne and Barons for their um, uh, 
support of our trip to Nashville 2016. And we also want to thank Vey Management, Christine Vey, Vey Wealth Management, excuse me, Christine Vey, because she too supported our students to go to Nashville. And we are doing the trip again this May, May 2017. And we hope to take just as many students as we had last year, which numbered, I believe the number was 20. 17, uh, thir 13 and 7, I believe. Yes, a mix of grad students and undergrad mm -hmm. students. And uh, so I just reached out and to we'll our we'll be guests. doing our shows again. We will be taping shows to be broadcast over the summer from the Music Business Association annual conference slash convention. Right. President Jim Donio has graciously invited us back, so that's great. And we're waiting for Mike Keeley, our guest, to come. By the way, that was Rob Fusari's Don't Let Love Down at the top of the show that um, that he's, he wrote about his good friend Stephen Marconi. The one Dave sang along with. And sang beautifully. It was not karaoke. No. Although, yeah, that's right, which is a double entendre there because uh, that's right. Rob Fusari once had a alter ego named Carrie Noki. Actually, okay. right. the phone is ringing. We're about there. So uh, visit us, by the way, musicbiz101wp.com, the website. Hello. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, the face of the book at musicbiz101wp. And again, uh, follow us on Stitcher and SoundCloud. Musicbiz101 is what you want to do. And again, yes, thanks, Van Don Bruno, White Hat Management. Thanks to Christine Vey and Mike, Michael Keeley is calling in and they're working out the details of that but i'm gonna we're gonna give the quick bio of michael keely the man he's the founder of motor scout music which is an independent music publishing and rights management company based in lancaster pennsylvania michael is amish which is where the <laughs> lancaster people are based and so this is his first time with a cellular telephone or any type of phone um we actually turned the lights down in the Sitting studio in the dark, yes right. we turned the lights down in the studio Kerosene. in honor of mike keely uh of motor scout music and his amish background Michael, he is, called in late. I know why. He had to feed the horse. <laughs> That's right. Before it, before it turned dark. That's right. Michael specializes in placing music in all aspects of media, including film, television, advertising, web productions, video games. And before starting Motor Scout Music, he worked for ten years in Nueva York City for Billboard-rated top ten publishing firms, Ultra Records, and Ultra International Music Publishing, as well as the Royalty Network. He has held senior creative and administrative positions. He was responsible for song plugging, album placements, co-writing sessions, and monetizing all aspects of the client's revenue streams. This is, I, I, I'm going to sound like Trump. This is a nightmare. This is a disaster. This show is a disaster. Sniffle a little bit. Okay. Yes, Michael's there. I hear him. Mike. So while Michael's uh, on his way, I should also <laughs> mention Music Biz Happenings. There's uh, actually some very good stuff. I just read the other day that uh, Adele, who mm -hmm. just went... Was uh, she here last week? She was here on the show. You missed it. You were oh, out God. on assignment. But her record just went diamond, which is I 10 know. million, which doesn't first, happen. First one or the second one in the... <laughs> In, in this millennium. In a very long time, yes. No, I believe it's the second one in this millennium of now. Because I, when I worked for Universal, uh, Shania Twain did it three times in a row. Mm. And uh, Come On Over, The Woman and Me, and Up. Mm -hmm. But the third one wasn't really the same as a double album. So oh. it sold five million, but because it's a double album, it had two discs. Oh. Five, five times two is ten. They're so, that's so why. sneaky. They, they are. So that kind of was yes. true, but not necessarily. Right. Um, <laughs> but Adele... Uh, 
quit smoking, she was told to stop smoking. And since she has quit smoking, she was complaining to an audience last week that uh, by quitting smoking, it has uh, made her not as good a singer. Really? Yeah. Wow. Which is interesting. I thought you were going to say she gained some weight, <laughs> like most people No, she complained about her, her singing, her... Uh, Yes. Yeah. So, so that is one thing going on in the biz. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a number of other important aspects of the music industry that are happening right now. Uh, uh, Lior Cohen, it's our friend Lior Cohen. Today. Did you see that? He is now YouTube's global head yeah. of, of music, which is quite odd. Um, Lustis just wrote about him. Yes. Yeah. Not a good move, he says. For those of you who are listening and you hear the word left sets, there's a guy named Bob Lefsetz who is a music industry fellow who uh, is a pundit. He, he's been able to turn himself into somebody who the industry listens to and he always has his feelings uh, <clears throat> about what's going on. And he has, a, he has a newsletter that goes out and he's got a whole lot of stuff there. The Dolby noise, re- noise reduction is, was on and now it's off. We go back to the Michael. Yes. There you are. There we go. Mazel tov. Yes. Is that Amish? Amish? Yeah, Mazel tov is Amish. <laughs> Michael Amish Man Keeley is here from okay. Lancaster, enough, Pennsylvania. Enough of the jokes. <laughs> yeah. We, yes, yes. Sorry for the technical sorry, difficulties. I, no, 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 please. No, it's no worries. I'm, I'm glad to be a, a guest here with you guys. And uh, Great. Yeah, you know, it's... Uh, glad to have you. And I know you've been hearing us chatter, and as they say in the business, we've been stretching time. Right. A lot of the technical like difficulties. Yeah. Right. So, Michael, why don't, uh, why don't you just uh, sort of for the listeners a little bit of the trail from college to where you are now, and then we'll start adding additional uh, questions. Uh, okay, sure. So, well, I went to college for graphic design and communications. I did not go for music. Um, I think, uh, uh, you know, it was... It, it, music was a passion of mine, but it, you know, I think at the time in my life, and I, I didn't think that I honestly, you know, the, the, an idea of being in music was not, you know, my my scope of it was like the only way to be in music was really to be the artist mm-hmm. and to be a musician. So I, I didn't really think of it outside of the, you know, and that's just me. I just wasn't thinking outside the box at the time that I think that you know I could be anything in music and. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the, the landscape has shifted so much, and I'm absolutely thrilled to see that for uh, students and, and uh, you know, people that are graduates that are out in, in the world who just have a desire and want to make a life change and get into the industry in any capacity, and there's just so many lanes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, yeah, so I, I um, you know, I, I graduated, I was in the working world and was, you know, really aspiring to be a musician, played music. Um, played guitar in, in bands, original bands, cover bands in central Pennsylvania. Uh, had some original music. We were, you know, we got signed by a management company. We got played on the radio. We were doing our thing. We were having a lot of great opportunities. And then, you know, slowly members of the band started to kind of cut out and we had to replace them. And after that happened a number of times, it gets really frustrating for, uh, <clears throat> for an aspiring musician to kind of stick with it and, you know, also face the facts and the realities like you know you're competing with uh, and you're trying to compete with people on a global market one and two um you know is am, am i talented enough and, and, you know can i do this am i really reaching the checkpoints all those kind of 
questions and, and, and my age and all that kind of stuff. So um, the band collectively made a decision to end. And for probably right around mid to, you know, uh, about 2002, three, four, right around that time frame is when uh, I was kind of faced with this, like, what, what's next? What's the next chapter? And, you know, being passionate about music and, and wanting to have it just be such a, a, an instrumental part of my life, I, um, I basically hired a woman to um, make uh, create a resume for myself. And she took all of my skills and my abilities and she just um, funneled it into this, this comprehensive resume that would be attractive to people in the music industry. And I, I, I put it out there to a bunch of record labels up in New York. Uh, again, you know, being out of Pennsylvania, it was like, you know, that, that seemed like the most logical next step was, you know, closest was New York rather mm-hmm. than going to maybe maybe Nashville, going to Florida, going to uh, California, anything like that. So she, uh, she, she, you know, I put this resume out there and um, I got very little feedback, if any, whatsoever. And a small record label had gotten in touch with me, a company called Star 69 Records, they got in touch with me. And um, in early 2006, they, they asked me, they're like, hey, listen, you know, we'd love for you to come up and intern at our offices. So twice a week, I was driving three hour round trip uh, ride to New York and back to central Pennsylvania. And I was going up and I would go up for the day and I would be the first in and last out. And mm-hmm. I just, you know, I was hungry for it and I wanted to make it work. And after about six or seven weeks of me doing that, they uh, they hired me. They said, "Listen, you know, we like the work you're doing, and um, we want to bring you on full time." And and that was the end of that. So I moved to New York, and you know, got a got an apartment, and and uh, you know, started going in full time. And I worked there for about a year and a half before I I you know was just constantly out networking. I was at networking events, just trying to get integrated into the musical culture and uh, meet people in, in the industry and just go out to events and like learn how to do my job better, number one, and then you know just try to build somewhat of a network. So through that is when I met other people at uh, other record labels and you know, and I just grew. I grew from there and I just had other positions. So that's kind of you know, just the, the, the post-college type of situation and how I was able to make it work for myself. And you uh, started doing work with some uh, uh, EDM, Artists, we see on your resume. Correct. Yeah, and that's, what, that's correct. Yeah, so, what, were, what were you doing you with know, them? So, um, my role in, in, in all of those positions was um, the significant role was when when I after Star Sixty Nine Records, I was uh, interviewed to um, take over a finance position at a at a very prestigious <laughs> company called uh, Ultra Records out of mm-hmm. New York. And um, I went in and I interviewed with the owner of the company for a for um, the the finance position. And uh, you know, he asked me. He said, "Listen, do you have any background?" I said, "No." But you know, not to be one who ever denies anything. It's like you know, you say yes and you figure it out on the back end, and that's what I did. So I was like, "Sure, you know, I don't have any background, but I'm sure I can figure it out." Well, you know, he 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 liked my energy. He liked my style. He said, "Listen, I'm not going to give you this job because there's just too many different things about it. You know, you need to come in with that experience." But he was like, listen, I've got two other guys in our publishing department, and I'd love for you to go and speak to them. So I did. And um, they brought me in, and I interviewed with them, and they're like, listen, this is the role. 
we need you to do um, some of the publishing aspect, which is licensing and clearance for the record label, and then also pitching and placement and signing and, and, and licensing for the publishing division. So in essence, I was basically sitting on both sides of the same table. It was a really interesting dichotomy of like, mm. you know, music publishers collect a lot of revenue from the record labels. So I was acting in both capacities. It, it was it was really interesting. So, you know, I was I was responsible for licensing and, and paying out royalties on the record label division. And then I was also responsible for, for collecting royalties and licensing some of our writers content from other um, colleagues and other other record labels. So that was the majority of my role for, for a long time there. And, uh, you know, I, I played support to our synchronization team, um, you know, that was responsible for pitching film and television placements. I, um, I got promoted early in my career, Ultra, to start signing um, songwriters and producers. So as I was licensing content and clearing things, I was uh, responsible for basically bringing in additional producers that were on track that we were releasing. So that grew to be a um, uh, an opportunity for me to just you know set up co-writing sessions and then to be out to be what I like to call boots on the ground. So mm -hmm. I was out at the Amsterdam dance event. I was out at Meetum. I was out in Miami for the for the. Um, uh, music week, uh, you know, and, yeah. and, and a lot of just different events and like trying to network with people and, you know, just, just doing what A&Rs and creatives do. And that is just to uh, build relationships, talk about music and, and try to find opportunities to exploit the artists and, and um, you know, and, and, and the catalog. Did you find that uh, the business was run any differently at the EDM labels? Then what? Then just a straight ahead you know, pop label or rock label, whatever? Uh, that's a good question. And because I don't have the experience at the pop or rock labels, I, I, I can't like offer a real honest um, critique of that. But my experience did tell me that I happened to be at, um, you know, between Star 69 Records and then Ultra Records, my career there. Um, those instrumental developmental years there was really the explosion of the electronic music yeah. scene in America. Yeah. So and that was, was one was of my really points. Uh, one of my points with that was that was were you looking at ultra for airplay, for instance, what you would normally do at a at a label for a you know for a, a radio friendly record when EDM really yeah, didn't, at that time didn't have a great deal of um, you know stations playing that stuff no of course it was um you know the, the team at ultra and the radio promotions department and the owners uh you know they did a fantastic job they um you know they were really you know, the weight of the company was you know it's a 20 like just this past year they celebrated 20 years ultra did and um in 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 that time you know coming into it basically on their like 13th year, 14th year while I was there, they had a tremendous catalog and releases of like, quite honestly, now the industry's top talent. So it was the Armin Van Buren, the mm -hmm. Tiestos, the Dead Mouses, the Eric Chris's, um, you know, all these guys, all the heavy, heavy weight. Yeah. And it wasn't until, you know, a couple of those radio records started to really pop that. It, it went from being like 
this kind of subculture thing to now being a mainstream. And you started, you know, it's almost like how rap was yeah, in yeah. the mid to late 80s. You know, it was kind of this subculture a sound that then, you know, blossomed into be this like major cultural revolution and, and the music was out there. So, you know, Electronica was just that. And now, I, you know, it was really interesting to be part of a label and a team at the time that was, um, that was seeing this this evolution of like the hip hop guys going from like hardcore hip hop beats mm-hmm. to now pop electro riffs and like incorporating that. So you saw this this marriage of like some gangster rap with you know electronica and and yeah. you know now you saw like trap and you saw like you saw these real interesting design dynamics and remixes and so it was really cool. I mean, some of the guys. You know, again, a, a nod to the team that was there. I mean, it was like guys like, you know, rappers like Chris Brown and, and, and pop artists like Chris Brown doing work with Benny Benassi and then getting remixed mm. with Skrillex. And, you know, mm-hmm. just some really strong things that was like really to laying the, the foundation for that scene to evolve. And then me, with, you know, being in the position that I was, I mean, quite honestly, it sounds kind of silly when I say it out loud, but like, you know, I was there at a time when like ringtones were starting to become mm-hmm. something and YouTube, yeah. they were figuring out how to pay out YouTube. So, you know, it, like it was new. It was all like, yeah. you know, what, what is this new medium? And here I was learning while ever, with everybody else. I mean, one of my best friends in the industry worked in a position where, you know, he, he was the YouTube guy and it was like, you know, they would all like, he would go to YouTube's offices and they would get these tutorials because it was like, it, it, didn't, it wasn't what it was now, you know, like mm-hmm. then it was like, oh, like there's this, this platform, let's give it a little bit of a voice and learn how to like optimize it. And now it's just blossomed into like an absolute beast. So sure, sure. yeah, it's really interesting to see all of that grow. So it, it, it evolved out of the DJ pool, I guess, prior to I mean, yeah. when the Yeah. and then it's found its way to airway uh, found air space uh, through the um, combination of adding rap and adding you know some of the more EDM beats guys and so on and so forth absolutely absolutely it's you know like even some of the rock guys were, are getting in and you're hearing like more ele- electronic elements and stuff so it, it really found you know, it, it really found its way into all these um, avenues. And um, yeah, you know, I mean, like, you know, you look on a record now and, you know, there's that term ghostwriter gets kicked around as if that's a bad thing. And, you know, it's like, listen, creativity is creativity. It's a beautiful thing. You know, like mm-hmm. some people choose to kind of be behind the scenes and, and write for other people and, and they enjoy that. And other people, they want the credit and they want to be out there and they want to be the only one who's writing the track. But, you know, I think that, yeah, between the rock and the hip hop and, and pop artists, I mean, straight up pop artists being involved and having an electronic identity, like it was really cool to see that. Mm-hmm. So, what what uh, genre of artists do you look for for uh, Motor Scout? Um, great question, and and that answer is everything. And what that means is, you know, I'm looking for music that is um, it's universal in nature. So the subject matter, the content, it might not be specific. Now, I don't turn that away, but it has to be something that grabs me. You know, I, I recently read, um, you know, interviews from like many of my colleagues that, you know, at different uh, electronic labels. And, you know, they say like, 
you know, when they're sitting around and they're listening and A&Ring, like, you know, you get a group of uh, young men and women in a room and they're talking and they're A&Ring new records and like cold pitches and emails that come in and, and, and things that are warm pitches come in from colleagues and trusted sources. They're, you know, everyone's looking for something that's a little bit different. So if you're kind of, you know, for all of your listeners that are out there and, and, and aspiring musicians, if you're writing content that already kind of like sounds with what's compete, like with what's already out there, you're kind of late to the game. You know, mm-hmm. like it already is out there. It's already being exploited. You need to kind of find like a new sound. And trust me, if I could do that, you know, I'd be on the phone as an artist and not as an executive, you know? So mm-hmm. it's, it's a very... It's a very, um, I, I know it's not great advice, but it, it, but it is something that's very true. And, you, you know, you have to be different. Now, the kind of music that I'm looking for is, is that. It's music that is different. It's music that catches me. I'm looking based on my research. Um, you know, I, I, I try to honor my, my um, buyers of music, the people I sell to, the music supervisors, the music editors. I try to honor them and, and, and respect them by doing the research. What are they working on? Um, you know, what projects are they work, working on? If it's a creative director at an advertising agency, what brands are they um, doing work for? And then I further dial down and say, what does the sound of these characters in a show, what, what kind of music do they listen to? What kind of, you know, you need to be aware of the show in order to know mm-hmm. what you're pitching. I mean, Narcos on Netflix uses authentic Colombian music or they'll use, you know, different variations of right. Latin-based music. So yeah. I wouldn't pitch them uh, a Calvin Harris record, you know, or <laughs> I wouldn't pitch them, uh, you know, uh, an Adele. I heard you speaking about the lovely and beautiful Adele. So, you know, it's because it wouldn't work. And it's now you're just frankly wasting their time because if they have 10,000 songs that they have to listen to for a 45-second spot, and they have to find the right one, then your 10,001st song is like gonna piss them off. Sure, so, sure. you know, just make sure that you're aware. And I think that that's the best thing you can do. Like, you know, if you're gonna take the time, make sure that, you know, your email is tailored to them. And um, uh, yeah, so, so I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but yeah, so right. I'm looking for, I'm looking for music across the board in all types of genres. So that's, you know, lo-fi garage rock I have on my, my roster. I have Tropical House, uh, electronic, uh, you know, indie electronica. I have uh, singer-songwriter. I have, uh, you know, like female R&B, like urban pop soundscapes. So, you know, I have glitch hop. I have world glitch hop. I have a lot of different things that kind of suit different personalities and um, Mm -hmm. you know so I'm listening and looking for content that fits the kind of identity the musical identity for the for the people that I work with now is this becoming uh, sync is becoming basically the uh, the go-to with Netflix and Amazon creating all these new and different wonderful original series uh, what, what do you mean the go-to? Like, well, that's please. that's where the money is right now. More than trying to put an uh, a tune with an artist to put out a a stream, uh, you know, as part of an um, album or something. Sure, sure, I understand. So, no, I, I want to say no, a yes, and no, and, and and that's kind of you know ambiguous. But if you're an artist and you're 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 out there you're putting your content out there and you, you know you're, you're you're making noise um 
if you're, you know, it's kind of like level up. Like if you, if you have good stuff, it's going to find its voice. And if you're aggressive and you're putting it out there and you're networking and you're behind it and you're promoting it, you know, it's going like, to, sooner or later, it's going to fall in the right hand. And that, those right hands might then, <coughs> excuse me, those right hands might then be somebody that puts it out and gets it on radio. And now it becomes a radio hit and you're making your music through public performance royalties or you know now now you're making your 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 money through like literally um uh, performing at 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 shows and and like touring or Mm -hmm. or merch sales or anything like that so you know i don't think that synchronization placement is like the savior for the music industry like you know failing sales and all that kind of stuff i don't personally think that that's like what's going to save the industry because again like everybody's moving in that direction i think for the last probably seven years synchronization has been a lifeline to keep independent artists afloat and offer them more opportunity to expose their music and to further more um mainstream artists and their songs and their forthcoming singles and albums and stuff like that but I, you know, I think that it's important to not put all your chips into 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 one betting lane and say, all right, we're going to go after sync because that's going to be like the most affordable. It's going to give us a lot of return because, frankly, those budgets aren't quite there as mm-hmm. much as they used to be. You know, from stuff that I hear and, and conversations that I've had. But it's okay, like, you know, when somebody says, oh, those budgets aren't there that much anymore. Like, it, it shouldn't discourage anybody. Like, business is business. You just yeah. continue to like. You weather the storm and you continue to write good content and you put it out there. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I, so I think like, you know, an aspiring artist can find success in many different lanes <laughs> and it's not just synchronization is going to like save everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was just thinking out loud, if this show was five, six, seven years ago, we might be talking about the fray and chop shop and those new yeah. buzzword buzz companies, you know, that were, that uh, and the way to get discovered maybe through a music supervisor and so on, but uh, you're saying, of course, that 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 even though we have a Netflix and we have an Amazon that is starting to fill up and the budgets really aren't there and there's still numerous ways and still the standard old-fashioned way, of course, of um, of of creating a revenue stream for yourself. Exactly. Exactly. You know, I think I think the listeners um, have to understand that, uh, you know, a platform like Netflix or Amazon or Hulu, um, you know, or, or, or even YouTube, you know, mm-hmm. some of the independent productions, YouTube, uh, you know, any of these platforms, YouTube Red, they they are a platform that is, is is releasing the content. So they're basically buying and releasing content from what's called a production company. So the production company is really the one that sources the um, the money to be able to, you know, hire the actors, you know, have the scenery, have the script, have the producers, edit all the content, have a music budget. So depending on, you know, the success or failure of, of, a, of a production is not really contingent on whether or not it's on Netflix or Amazon or Hulu or NBC or ABC or MTV. Like, it all kind of comes down to the production company. And a lot of that, like... Some production companies get greenlit and are are are, are um, sponsored and, and promoted from like a major network, so they just have a larger music budget and they're able to uh, 
you know, they're, they're able to kind of think a lot more music. And, and again, the, the producer and the directors and the showrunners might be like, hey, listen, we, um, you know, we really, this is going to be a period piece. So, you know, maybe it's this 1960s, like, you know, murder, murder drama type of thing. And they might say, like, listen, we need to go get records from the 1960s and 70s. And or we need to find stuff that's, that's contempt that's concurrent, that has that sound. But mostly, like, you're going to go for something that's recognizable. So they, they recognize that they need to have, like, you know, we need to have a million dollar budget over 12 to 13, 14, 15 episodes to be able to get 1960s pop records mm. or, you know, some of these things. So, you know, it all depends on what the structure of it is. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Can why don't we go back? Because um, we have a number of students who did send in tweets, like Ashley and Joelle hey. and, and Gina, and um, basically they're all asking about the sync process, synchronization licenses. Can you kind of sure. give us a sync one hundred and one license? Talk about who you pitch, how you pitch them, what do you pitch, um, the various deals with the terms, all that kind of stuff. Can you kind of give us all? Because we have about fifteen minutes left. You know, give us sort of the story of of sync from your perspective and how sure. you make it happen. Sure, and I'll try to be concise and, and quick. Um, so, so synchronization is literally the process of aligning a song with a moving image. You're basically thinking, you're aligning this, this, this content together. So, you know, you think of, I like to use the term, like you think of a bad Bruce Lee movie, like it does, they don't sync the, you know, his lips up to, his, to the dialogue. So that's what it is. So basically the fundamental then is that a, a, a music supervisor is the individual that oversees the entirety of the licensing and clearance and, and selection process of, um, of film, television, video games, um, you know, webisodes, advertising, anything that would be a visual medium that would use music in it. So this music supervisor in, 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 in the sync world and or the equivalent would be a creative director or a marketing director in the advertising and marketing world. Um, these individuals are responsible for um, sourcing music per a brief. So a brief is something where the, the, the company, the production company might say, um, listen, you know, here's a, for instance, on, on, on the network Epic, they have a new show with Nick Nolte, and I was working with the uh, music supervisor there, and uh, him and his music coordinator, which is the assistant to the music supervisor, which is another viable position and option for your students and listeners. A music coordinator would be somebody that works on behalf of the supervisor that would then like send out briefs to a bunch of music record labels and music publishers and artist managers and people looking to source music. So for this for this particular show, Grade, they were finishing an entire season. So they, they came to me and they said, listen, we have specific song cues within shows where we need to get music that sounds similar to. So they would give me an idea of what the scenery would be. And they would say something like, President Graves, who is Nick Nolte, the actor, you know, walks into this bar and he's kind of like sullen and destitute and upset because something he's having a bad day. And in the background, is a song and they say like we want that song to be like neil young's you know something from harvest moon but they can't afford you know the, the network or or the production company can't afford to get the neil young song so they're looking for something that's like 
um, equivalent or a sound that kind of is, is down-tempo, singer-songwriter, vibey, and moody. So my role is to go through my roster and take a listen and see if I have anything that would meet that criteria. If I do, then, then what I do is I will gather all of this up into a file sharing program that I, and I use Fox.com and um, Fox is widely accepted more so than say Dropbox or WeTransfer. Fox.com is widely accepted in the music supervision world. And I will create, I will drop all this music into this link. And um, I will then send that single link in an email back to the music coordinator and the music supervisor, highlighting maybe like which uh, particular brief I'm sending it in on. So maybe it's like brief two out of six or brief one and five out of six. So whatever it might be specific for. So that's a, that's a very specific like, you know, call and response. They asked, I responded. If I don't have anything, then I don't reply. But in the back of my mind, I think, well, this is something I need to look towards. You know, this is something I need to look for. You ask me what kind of music I source, well, there you go. So mm-hmm. I might think like, you know, this particular show or theory, if I don't have something, then chances are it's going to be picked up. It's going to do very well. Let's all like opt on the side of positivity and say that it gets picked up for a second or third or fourth season. So I want to be aware of what the musical identity is. And if this is what they're sourcing for these types of scenes, then I'm going to go look for this kind of music, bring it in into my roster, and then be ready to pitch it for the second, third, or fourth season. Um, So that's that aspect of it. If I'm cold emailing somebody, that's a completely different game. And it's, 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 you know, that's something where research is absolutely key. It's clutch. So, you know, what you have is, it's, you know, it's that, it's that like, you know, first impression type thing. You need to make a strong first impression. And there's no stronger first impression than knowing who your audience is, knowing who you're talking to. So when you're speaking, when you cold email and more cold email versus a cold call, like chances of you calling a music supervisor and talking to them, like, that's great. Like, they might talk to you and give you, like, two minutes and, like, that's it. But, you know, it, it, you want to give them a link to listen to the content, you know. And that they're going to have to do at their leisure, not yours. So when I cold email somebody, I research who they are. How, you know, you want to know, like, their proper email format. So, you know, you find that information that's out there in the world. Uh, you know, you just go through the various permutations of it. And so you find the right email uh, format that works. And then you, you subject line the email, something that would grab their attention. And, it's, and, and I'm not talking about something that's like, you know, we have hot shit, you have to listen to it. Like, you know, you, it has to be concise. It has to be like, you know, singer, this is, and this is what's worked for me. And that might be like singer, songwriter, new singer, songwriter in the style of Death Cab for Cutie, um, you know, backslash, for you know abc's nashville or something like that so now the recipient of the email says okay i know that it's new music it narrows down what type of music and i and i know that this person is pitching for this particular show that i work on because a lot of music supervisors are working on multiple productions at the same time so 
again, you're very specific. You're saying like, this is this is what I think that it's going to best be utilized in. And then in the body of my email, I make it really short and simple. Again, less is more. So you know, it's it's that personal introduction to the individual. You you tell them. You know, again, you basically reiterate what's in the subject line. I'm so-and-so out of so-and-so city, and this is my music in the style of this current popular artist that, like, you can, like, everybody kind of knows. And I control all the rights, the master rights and the music publishing rights, or I control the master rights and my publisher is Motor Scout Music or, or Warner Chapel Publishing, you know, whatever the right situation may be. And, you know, and then third sentence is, we feel, you know, myself or my band feels that this might work very well with this production, you know, currently titled uh, Grey's Anatomy or something, you know, best the band. And that's it. And, you know, I think that if you have those, you know, and, and, and sorry, and a link to the music, obviously a link to the music that somebody can retrieve the music. And if you have all those items, that's a very classy email. Now somebody can, the recipient is like, this person knows my work. They know they're, they're shooting in the same ballpark with this type of music. And, and you know, they're not giving me a total background. Like, uh, uh, you know, of like, you know, we play 60 shows and we've been on the radio. Like that kind of stuff doesn't really matter to a music supervisor until they're into like the final stages of selecting the music. Let me let me go back because uh, you had mentioned talking on the phone and then the do the cold email. What do you do sure. first? Do you generally try and make the phone call first, or do you prefer the cold email? What's been more successful? I prefer for the you? cold email. <clears throat> so for me, for me, the cold email works tremendously well. Um, you know, again, it's you know it's a numbers game. You know, I've always I've been a salesman all my life. I, I you know I got to start working for companies doing sales. And you get, you know, it's just a fact of life that, you know, you're going to pitch content, whether it's your content or, you know, it's, it's a company's product, widget, whatever you're selling, you're going to knock on people's doors and they're going to say, you know, get out of here or sure, I'm interested to so, like talk about it. So you just need to be in front of as many people as you can for what you're selling if it's appropriate. So the, the, the cold email allows me the opportunity to send appropriate content to a cold contact and it lets them look at the email at their on their schedule not on mine a cold call is me calling them on my schedule so you know it, it, they might be in the middle of editing like you know like it, they're trying to get like for instance this this past week and this week is like new season releases so like there's a whole new release of all the network shows being done so if i were to call in the middle of the day somebody at 20th Century Fox and say, listen, hey, my name's Mike and I'm the owner of Motor Scout Music and I got some music I think would work really well on, on Lucifer, on, on, you know, on, on Fox or something like that. They'd be like, yeah, I'm busy. Like, I, I can't, like, you know, I can't take this call. So, yeah, it, it's, it's important that, you know, I think that the, the cold email is a better, you know, is a better um, opportunity because again, it, it, it's back on their leisure, not yours. So, okay. so yeah. what, then what is your uh, your rule of thumb for follow up? Let's say you send out the email today is Wednesday, you know, at, at four o'clock in the afternoon. At what point do you follow up if you haven't heard anything? And is that also through email? So, uh, great question. Um, I, I 
it, you you got to find out what works for you. Like, you know, every individual, you got to do something. And through doing something, you make little mistakes. And when you make the mistakes, you course correct. So you're always getting back on track. Now, with that said, I don't really do a lot of follow-ups because working with Box.com, I'm able to see previews. I'm able to see people who preview and or retrieve download the track. So that exists as my follow-up. So I'm able to see a lot of that, and that's how that file sharing works. So when I send a cold email to, you know, John Doe, who lives in Brooklyn and works for, um, you know, a, 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 a music supervision company, I send that content to him or her, and I'll see, like, within 24 to 48 hours, that individual will click the link and either preview it or download it or both. And I'm able to see that. So that serves as my follow-up. That's my feedback. I'm like, great. If this person, this person just listened to it, they didn't download it, so they didn't need it. Or they did listen to it, they did download it. It's now on their system. It's got all of my contact information in the metadata. There's a, I properly filled it all out. They retrieved it. They have it. If they ever need it, they know how to get in touch with me because I am confident that all my information and all my rights are, are right there. So they know how to get in touch with me. So that's my follow-up. Now, with that said, I have been specifically emailed by music supervisors and creative directors on projects and, and, and tasks and stuff where I've sent them a specific link to retrieve a song to 10 songs. And I will probably follow up about four to six weeks later. But that's like, you know, on a, on a special occasion where it's like, hey, they asked me something and I'll follow back in about four to six weeks later and say, hey, did you get a chance to? And that might be a gentle reminder that they're like, oh, you know what? I did get the email. I got to circle back and retrieve the audio file. So so that's that. But in, in the overall general sense, no, I in a cold email. I cold email. I do my research. I cold email and that, that that individual receives it and I'm able to see if they did anything with it. And if and if I see that, like if I email 100 people and only 30 people like review it or, or look at it or anything, then you know the other 70 people, I don't follow up and ask them. I just, it's in the ether, it's there. I'm in their email, I'm, I'm in their email roster. So like if they ever get around to it, all the information's in the body of the email. If they're ever sourcing something in the style of this particular artist, they'll see it. But the goal is, is to continue to move forward and to acquire new content that is going to zero in and be more specific for what they're looking for. So now, you know, I might pitch five times over 12 months certain music that they never retrieve it. And then maybe the sixth time is the time where, like, the relationship is solidified because they like what I'm pitching. And now we can do work together. Are you, uh, uh, to clarify one thing, are you saying box like B, B as in boy, OX.com? That is correct. Okay, yes. it is box.com. Box. Like as in a shipping, as in a shipping right. box. Yes, okay, box. all right. Oh, we have a, yes. Okay, about four minutes left. Uh, can we just get into some of the money? Um, can you kind of give sort of roundabout figures how much is coming in for, say, a commercial versus uh, a show on Showtime versus a show on network television, that kind of thing? Is there any figures that you can, you know, kind of give. Sure. So, you know, some some of the like um, you know, some of the some of the MTV and and E network um, you know, some of those shows, some of the reality shows, again, like they don't, you know, they're they're 
they're doing either multiple multiple song cues so they don't have like a huge budget and they're trying to spread it over like you know a, a, a lot of a lot of space so you know it might be like 500 to a thousand dollars looking at some of those cues and again that might be like 15 seconds to 30 45 seconds um uh i did i did a a wonderful um spot with um a, a music supervisor super well respected and i actually have been meeting i'm out in los angeles now i'm talking to you from los angeles and uh you know um she's she's an absolute charming lady she did a spot with me for uh, a new usa network show called falling water and she decided to use the, her and the director's staff they edited they cut up this record and they decided to use uh it's a two and a half minute long song and they use like two minutes and five seconds so they really got into the meat of it and it's, it's a big it's a big song you know it's going to be premiering on october 20th on usa network and uh you know that spot was two thousand dollars so you know that's that's you know you see that the money was a little bit better and you know they're building the brand identity of the characters in the show so um let's see what else i mean you know then you start getting into some of the some of the spots that i've done for the uh uh brand and ad agencies you know that's upwards of five thousand to ten thousand dollars and depending on you know we were talking a little bit about the terms you know depending on the uses like let's say the term length is like you know one month two months three months six months or the media outlet might just be like radio or maybe it's you know television or you know it might be all media in perpetuity now you start looking at these like different kind of hurdles and and these uh rights requirements so now that budget might go from like ten thousand dollars to uh eighty thousand dollars um you know for, for for like sprite or you know tropicana or uh folgers you know whatever like some of these volkswagen ford nissan anything like that um and then into the film world we look at big money in the trailer houses so many of the successful trailer houses are you know what they're doing is they are they are trying to grab viewers and eyeballs and put people in seats so for two minutes they're trying to create the most visceral um, image-driven, sound-driven ad that's going to, like, get you out to the theater. So they're looking for music, and that music is heavy. And these, these are separate budgets. So the production companies, you know, the film companies, they have bigger budgets to say, oh, we want to use an artist like uh, Kanye West and Power. We want to use, you know, like, in a, in a comedy show, a movie, you know, we want to use, like, you know, an Afrojack song or a Dead Mouse song or like some kind of electro club vibe, they will pay like sixty, seventy, eighty thousand dollars for that. So and then within the film, again, that could be anywhere from like twenty thousand to eighty thousand dollars, depending on the weight of the song and artist and, and the context in which it's used. You know, there's cues called background vocal, background instrumental, visual vocal. I mean, is it a scene where you know, is the actress and her three friends driving in the car from like Santa Monica to LA and are they singing the song? And if they are, is that song like, is it a Katy Perry song and everyone's kind of vibing on it and they're all laughing and stuff like that. So the song plays a big role in the film or is it like a bad guy walking into a bar who's about to kick everybody's butt and it's just playing on the jukebox in the background and it's not really like it could be any song. So, you know, it's, it's, how is the song used will help to dictate the quality of um, or the amount of money being offered. Well, this has been a high quality interview. 
and we could yeah. probably have you. you. I, I feel bad that we uh, started a little late because I have more questions. We have a lot more tweets. We don't have time to get to any of them. So we should well, thank I, you. I'm happy. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy. You know, it's my pleasure to be here. You know, I think I've had a lot of great people help me to get to this point, And, you know, and I want to, like, return the favor. And, you know, I, if, if you're interested, I'd love to do another call in and, um, you know, like speak specifically to the tweet and, you know, answer, kind of pick up maybe a part two or something like that. So whatever great. you guys want to do, but I'm very grateful for your time and inviting me on the show. No, the, no the, I think that would be excellent because there's there's still a lot more to get to and only touched upon sync licensing. We had the whole part about starting your business and about just being a publisher. So, um, yeah, I think we're definitely going to have to have you back because you, you did a great job. So everybody, thank we you. should thank Michael Keeley, Motor Scout Music. Yeah. Mike Keeley, Motor Scout. Mike yeah. Keeley from Motor yeah. Scout Musica. <laughs> and thank you yeah, very much. Thank we, you. Yeah, thank it's, you. It was great to have you. Uh, we want to thank uh, Nathaniel Hawkins, our producer, Nate the Hawk. <laughs> Nate the Hawk. All right. Yeah. yeah. And we want to thank Dr. Esteban Marconi. Dr. Uh, Steven. Thank you very much. Steven Marconi. And of course, my co host, yeah. David Kirk Philp, and you can call him. Professor David Kirk Philp. Okay. Yes. And I want to thank you. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you for everybody who tweeted in. Uh, we did not get to all of them, but we truly and you appreciate gamers, it. Gamers, next week, we have a guest that will be calling in from LA who is very deep into game scores and uh, music that, uh, doing music actually for several new shows that we will talk about. Exactly. So we'll kind of be sticking with this yeah, similar topic. Another guy from the City of the Angels. So Mike Keeley, Nate the Hawk, Dr. Esteban. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Mike. And by the way, when All we're... All right, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye now. When we're done with the show, for those of you listening, you know that we do not say hello. No. When we're done with the show, <clears throat> we use one word, and that word is, from the other side of the wall, Adios!